Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. I am your host, Desmond Price, and today I am joined by my panel for our second panel episode of the season. And so for today's episode, we're going to be talking about a couple different topics. But before we break into what those topics will be, first, I want to introduce my panel, making her first appearance on Independent Thought, her debut, Ashlyn Young. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And making his fourth appearance on Independent Thought, we are welcoming back to the show, Fresh Faces, New Ideas. How are you doing today, sir? Good. I'm excited. I love being on these things. I love talking to people. I enjoy these these conversations. Uh, I'm excited. I, I think I've gotten past the pa- the point where the, the debates I've been on, people are advocating for just bombing countries. So I think we're good here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're past that as well. Uh, And so finally, we are having back on Lloyd Ogden, making his sixth appearance on Independent Thought. You are the person who's been on the show the third most now. How how does it feel? Welcome. Makes me a veteran. Kind of of feels kind of cool. No, it feels good. Again, I love it here. You're amazing. So yeah, I'll be here 17 times if I need to be. An infinity, a little infinity loop. We got this. A little loop there. All right. Well, thank you all for coming on to the show today. I'm just, let's uh, just jump right into it. The first topic that I want to discuss is the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Obviously, this has been something that's been in the news relentlessly for the last few weeks here and culminating with this past week where we finally withdrew completely from Afghanistan. But obviously, before that happened, and since the last time we talked about this in our previous panel, you know, some more service members did die in Afghanistan during the withdrawal, some Afghani Uh, civilians were killed in drone strikes uh, in retaliation. And so I kind of want to just pick everyone's brain on this topic and kind of feel, you know, see where everyone's feeling about this. Do we still all think that we should have left Afghanistan and does Biden deserve blame for how the withdrawal took place? I want to start off with Lloyd. You are someone who served in the military, so I feel like it's appropriate to start with you first in this topic. Do you think that we should have left Afghanistan, and do you blame Biden for how the withdrawal took place? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we should have left. I don't think I don't think we should have been there as long as we were. If, any, if you guys didn't know, it's the longest war in, in uh, American history. It's longer than any of the war we've had. Not the bloodiest war, but it's just like the long. It's a super long war. You know, people uh, sons were replacing their fathers overseas, and that's just weird. You know. But not only that, but like we were fighting an idea. We we're fighting terror. We weren't even fighting like an actual force of people. We were just fighting an idea. And so that, that's kind of a losing battle already. So, yeah, I think I, I was over in Afghanistan in like 2009. And it's as bad as you think it is. I mean, they have no competency, as you can clearly see, because they fell in like two weeks, you know, uh, with withdrawal. So, yeah, like what, what, what are we supposed to do if we were there 20 years and they fell in two weeks? what there's nothing we can do that was a losing battle any any sort of withdrawal i agree with now do i think biden handled it well i don't know man i don't know what i don't know why you couldn't get more equipment out of there or why we couldn't have planned that a little better that seems a little weird to me i, I don't know the inner workings of 
you know, what's going on there right now. Cause I haven't been there in 10 years, but I do know that like they left a lot of stuff and it seems real sketch and that's taxpayer money. And I'm, you know, sort of a libertarian when it comes to spending tax money. And I just don't understand why you would give the Taliban of all organizations, all of that stuff that we left. It doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I think that it could have hundred percent been handled better. I think, that, I think Biden's lucky that it's so early in, in his presidency. Cause if this was something that happened close to election time, I think he would have clearly lost the election. This is a pretty, pretty big stain on, uh, on his record and probably his legacy, you know? So hopefully not hopefully, but hopefully for him, I suppose this gets washed away in the next two years, you know, cause if it doesn't, it's a bad look. All right. Well, I do appreciate your take on this. I want to throw this over to Ashlyn next. What are your thoughts on what we saw in Afghanistan? Do you think that we should have stayed there for a little bit longer? Some people were saying, especially in the military community, that we should have just stayed there a little bit longer, or we could have, you know, gone to this other airport and kind of held that down for a little while. Do you think that Biden did everything he could to get the troops out of there correctly? So what are your stances on this? You know, I I agree with Lloyd and I agree with, you know, the vast majority of our country who says, yes, this, it was time. Like this has been too long. Like you said, Lloyd, we weren't making any progress. We were doing the same things for the last 20 years and, you know, expecting something to change, which is just crazy. Um, you know, I have not served in the military. And uh, also I don't know the conversations that are being had behind the scenes. So can we say 100% Biden should have done things differently? I don't think that we can because we don't know everything that's going on over there. Um, I was listening to a podcast earlier where a, a man who's been involved in reporting on the Afghanistan war for the last 20 years, he said, you know, we have been learning new things about the country itself the entire time that we've been there. He was like, 10 years into that, we're still learning new things about their culture and just the way that they do things. And we can't pretend like we went in there with, you know, their best interest in mind because we had no idea even who they as a people were and what was going to be good for them. And, you know, we still don't know. And yeah, I, I don't think that there's much that us, you know, general civilians can say that even, I don't even feel like I have a right to say, yes, this was right or no, it wasn't because again, we don't know all the details, um, but was it time to get out? Absolutely. Um, you know, can we debate all day about whether or not we should have, you know, taken out the citizens who helped us over the last 20 years so that they're not in danger. Yeah, we can talk about who should have come first all day long, but was it time? Yes. Was the date already set from the Trump administration? Yes, we were already far past that. And, you know, I've heard a lot of speculation on, oh, well, we, we couldn't have known that the Taliban was going to do what it did. We couldn't have known that we were going to lose, you know, 13 of our members of our military in the last couple of days. I think that the last six months of the Taliban kind of regaining their strength over there pointed us towards the fact that we could have expected some retaliation, but we'll never know what it could have been the other way. And at this point, it's just 
how do we move forward and make sure that all the citizens there who did help us and you know the US citizens who are still over there, how do we get them out safely? And um, yeah, I think that's kind of the point that we're at right now. Hey, I appreciate that. And, and Fresh Faces New Ideas, I want you to round us off here. What are your thoughts on our Afghanistan withdrawal? And do you blame Biden whatsoever for, for basically what we've seen in the last like week or so of the withdrawal? Okay. First, we absolutely should have gotten out. Second, when we're talking about this, we have to put this into context. To just say this is on Joe Biden puts a, a massive ig- ignorance on the, the population. That implies that we have not we're ignoring the last 20 years of history in that country. It's implying we've ignored the last year of what the Trump administration was doing. Um, so just to say, oh, yes, this is on Joe Biden is just nonsense. Now, did the Biden administration make mistakes? Absolutely. I would, I would love to have, uh, Lloyd, I don't know where you were stationed when you were over there. I This is a conversation I had with somebody who was allegedly um, uh, stationed over there and could talk about Bagram. And I've had information about it that I would like to actually discuss with somebody about you know a Bagram and and whether or not that could have worked, but there's a lot of information that's going on that is just so short-sighted. Um, a lot, I think, a lot of the the idea of this being an absolute failure comes from the idea that America kind of lost, and then it comes from that first weekend where they where there was those the scenes of the people running in front of the planes, uh, the people falling off the planes, and that weekend where Calisha Warch is like, we haven't done anything in like eight hours, and they got like four thousand people out in the first week. To, to put this all as, as a failure um, is both inaccurate and it doesn't understand like what is like the, the, the complexity of this issue. This isn't a, you know, Joe Biden did this, so this happened. This is a longstanding thing that will require time to be unraveled. And I feel like a lot of the people who are saying, oh, this is a failure or success are not accurately discussing what's happened there. Absolutely. And so I'm going to go ahead and just like say a few words myself, and then we're just going to open up for open discussion here on this topic. You know, from my understanding, the reason why we went into Afghanistan, and I, and I, I want to say this because I've seen people who in just in my own social media frame have said that, you know, Biden made this atrocious mistake or that we shouldn't have left or so on and so forth. So I kind of want to address that a little bit. My understanding for going into Afghanistan was to go after the people who were responsible for 9-11, so Al-Qaeda, and for going after Osama bin Laden specifically. Now, from what I could gather, we were able to effectively squash Al-Qaeda and drive them out of Afghanistan. And we also killed Osama bin Laden in, uh, what was it, like 2011, 2010? And so the mission was the, for the original reason for going into Afghanistan was accomplished within 10 years. And so at the very least, at the very least, we should have been out of there 10 years ago. Now, since then, the argument for staying in there has been nation building, which is something that I felt, I thought that most people were very much against. But I'm now finding out that a lot of people seem to be considering that we should be nation building, even though the same people who are calling for it right now were also against us being overseas a year ago when President Trump was saying that we should get out of Afghanistan. So it, it feels like, a lot of people who were, I guess, attacking Joe Biden for, you know, continuing the withdrawal just seemed to be just playing this like hyper partisanship thing where they just wanted to attack him because he was a Democrat in charge when he was literally doing the exact same thing that the Trump administration said they were going to do a year ago. The only difference is Trump administration claimed it was conditions based, which was just, you know, a talking point for saying that they were never really going to leave, you know. 
But, you know, with all that being said, I do think that we should have left. I don't think we should have been there in the first, you know, in the first place, truthfully speaking. We spent over a trillion dollars in that country. That money could have been better spent here in our country. Because like you were saying, Lloyd, we were fighting an idea. You're never going to beat an idea. You know, it's just not really going to work that way. I mean, I can because the idea was that we're trying to squash terrorism, trying to squash insurgency. But I'm wondering how many people did we create who might, you know, hate America in the process in the last 20 years, you know, because of what we've done, because of random drum strikes, because of how many civilians were killed over the last 20 years while we were fighting terrorism. So it, it feels, you know, like a like an endeavor that we should have never have been involved with for this long, if maybe ever what's, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, with the withdrawal part, I feel as though Biden definitely could have done better. I mean, that, that should be, I think that's obvious. I, I don't, I don't know how anyone could argue on his behalf, truthfully speaking, but I guess all in all, I, uh, I, I'm glad that we are out of the country and I just don't understand people who think that we should have stayed, but now I want to open it up to, Everyone else, if you want to ask each other questions, uh, Fresh Faces said you wanted to ask Lloyd some specific questions. Yeah, I did about Bagram, but before I wanted to, to put some other things based on what you said. Um, the the uh, one of the two of the other things that have to be talked about when we refer to people who are saying like they're backseat uh, driving this hindsight is twenty twenty. We have to also understand that like regardless of like what you say now, we have the the military's estimate was like our intelligence estimate was that the afghan government would still be in power like 30 days from now and i think that had a lot to do with how things ended up so poorly because we just misread it so badly that their collapse probably slowed down or sped up a lot of things that they were attempting to do so if you're going to argue for a different type of strategy you have to do it under those circumstances understanding that you still expected the military to be in charge um is, is one of those uh circumstances and another one is this idea of like oh, we have to keep Americans there or keep American soldiers till we get every American out. Or we have to push more American soldiers in until we take Cabal or or we we send them out. So we had the, the numbers to take both Bagram and um, the embassy. The people who are arguing that, are you also then going, like, for example, Kevin McCarthy, would you also then blame Joe Biden? Should they stay there and more American casualties rack up because of our extended uh, presence there? You have to weigh these things because as far as I can tell, the people who are arguing for those type of things, the we need to stay in America, we need to just bomb the hell out of them until we get every American out. They don't seem to like the, the question obviously is, well, what happens if more Americans die? Are you willing to take that responsibility? And I think that's part of what happened when Joe Biden pulled out because it's not like he's just like, oh, fuck it, we're out. There's a plenty of reporting to show that we are still working with the Taliban to get the people out. And they're like, oh, well, you can't argue with terrorists well they're kind of the government now we don't have anyone else to 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 talk to if we just ignore them that puts more more americans in danger that would be a derelict of our duty because whatever's going on in the panchier valley they're not in charge of the country it so you have to like actually think about this it's really nice to say oh joe biden left americans there and he left 80 million dollars 80 billion dollars of weapons which just factually isn't correct the 80 billion dollars is like fundamentally wrong um, it's, you know, there's a lot to this that just, it just requires, this is my problem with a lot of, uh, politics is you just have to ask one follow-up question and all, and it's never asked. True. <laughs> Lloyd Ashton, have either of you heard people saying that we should stay in Afghanistan? Nope. I don't think I have. Yeah. 
I, I feel like the overwhelming majority of people agree that we shouldn't be there. And I think it's funny, you know, the argument of like, oh, we need to send more people in until we get everyone out. It, it's just prolonging it. And, you know, it's like, there's always, there's always going to be this underlying threat from, you know, from the Taliban to the US. I mean, nobody's going to forget and think, oh, you know, everything is good now and, and we've changed everything over there. Um, you know, I don't know if anybody listened, I'm sure everybody listened after the 13 US military members were killed. Biden's speech was almost identical to the speech that George W. Bush gave after the 9-11 attacks. I mean, the, the rhetoric of, you know, we'll hunt you down, we'll make you pay. We're just continuing the cycle of, you know, you make a threat against us and we're gonna come back harder harder towards you. And that didn't get us anywhere in the last 20 years. And I don't even see what the point in making those threats is right now, because that's just gonna put us right back where we started. And the idea of nation building is just ironic because nobody cared about Syrian refugees back in 2016 and let's, let's not pretend like anybody actually has differing thoughts at this point. It's funny that right now polls that are being taken, it's like 70% of Americans are in favor of, of having a large amount of Afghan refugees in the country, which I think is great. I am also in favor, but what a staggering difference from 2016 when you know nobody wanted uh, Syrian refugees here. And so I think that everyone is gonna follow, either they're gonna follow the big person in charge or they're going to point fingers and you know say, oh, somebody else could have done it better. But you know, the fact of the matter is there's gonna be a human humanitarian crisis whether it's in Afghanistan or somewhere else. And that's the unfortunate fact about the world that we live in, but <sighs> nation building. I mean, I, I just. It's a frustrating I, thought. Yeah. Can, I, can I say it something is. on that too? Yeah, go ahead. The, um, the people we have nation building is the department of defense who generally breaks nations. Like, like this is now I'm not, this is not an original thought in any way, shape or form. I literally am stealing this directly from Bo of the fifth comp who I love the watch. I think he's brilliant. Um, there is no central like overall agency to fix a nation that's been broken like this. If there's a, like an overall pandemic, we have the world health organization. If there's like financial collapse, we have the IMF. We have no central agency that's designed to figure out how to put a nation back together. We just hope that the military can figure it out or one shape or form. And ultimately it, it more or less always ends up in a disaster. And this is something we need to realize and start to fix. Um, just because the UN is there doesn't mean that the UN is going to be effective. It's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a thought process that we have to change. A lot of thoughts have to change because look, we put the people in charge of breaking the country, try to put it back together. And it clearly didn't work and it hasn't worked, you know, pretty much anywhere. You know, I, I do want to ask Lloyd one question, specifically since you did, you know, serve over in Afghanistan. I've heard other people who served over there, you know, like just from, I think it was like a Vox interview that I saw recently where they were interviewing three service members who had served over in Afghanistan as well. And they said that they were just feeling a tremendous amount of anger because they were unsure, like what they were even fighting for. And they just were kind of unsure of 
even where to direct that anger, but they were directing it at Joe Biden because he's the current president and he's withdrawing everyone, so on and so forth. Do you understand that sentiment? And, and where do you think people like, if they are angry, where do you think they should be angry? Is, is it at like a specific person or at every president who, who like sent us in and kept us in Afghanistan? Like, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I, I can't speak for anyone else. And I also want to throw a caveat here real quick before we get any, you know, too crazy. Um, you know, serving in Afghanistan doesn't give me some like free pass to talk about it, right? I personally believe that it doesn't take a scholar or a veteran to know, you know, like right or wrong when it comes to like, at least this kind of global affair. I think it's pretty obvious. Like we all get it. War on terror, it makes sense. No, no one is more qualified outside of like diplomats and stuff, you know, like there's very few people I think that are, that are truly qualified to talk about this stuff. And so like, I don't think that puts me or any veteran or anyone else in any special category. Right. So, so don't, so don't, you know, hold your thoughts or whatever, but um, I think as far as like, I, I won't speak for any other veteran, right. Like I'm glad I'm, I'm sad. Cause like a large part of my identity growing up was that I did serve, you know, it was, I went to, Af my first appointment was Afghanistan. I got, I got to my unit and I went to Afghanistan almost immediately um it was fun it was a good learning experience i am who i am today because of that but like bro it's time to go you know like it's, let's get out of there like it's pretty obvious that it was it was kind of silly this was 10 years ago you know i was in there 2009 to 12 11 10 years ago and it's like it's time to go it's just there's no reason to be there you know um and i i think anyone who served maybe maybe then my time and before like 2003 to 2000 you know whatever like that made sense but then after that, like you said, after after we killed Osama bin Laden, like what are we doing there still? So, so I think like yeah, it's a, it feels good to me to be out of there. It sucks how, you know, I want to respond to something you said earlier. Fresh faces, you said like you know we let uh, the, the 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 pullout, bro. We had months. Like, there's months, years, 21 years to plan this. Like I don't know why we couldn't have done better pulling out than we did because like I feel I feel like as the commander in chief or as any you know, head of agency, you had months, you know, you knew you won the election a long time ago. You, 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 you knew that Trump had, had signed a deal to get us out of there talk to the Taliban. Like we had months to plan this. And I feel like we could have done a lot better than we did. Also to, to, to elaborate on your point, just one, one last thing is like, you said like, who else, you know, we're, we're working with the Taliban to get people out of there. To me, that sounds like we're like, if I just say work with North Korea, like who else we talk to? It doesn't make it a good option though. Like the Taliban is still the Taliban, even if they are the government, I feel like they're a terrorist organization who is the government. Like we're dealing with terrorists still, whether you call them the government or not. So I think that we could have done better. They, they, they hate women. Like, I don't, I don't want to like speak in, you know, oh, you know, generals, general nations or whatever, but like, like they've been anti-women, they've been anti-freedom. Like we're dealing with them, you know? So we could have done a lot of things better. We have NATO allies that we could have helped. Like, there's so many things we could have done better, in my opinion, especially with the amount of time we had to do it. So I, I, right. I don't think it's an excuse to say, oh, man, who else are we supposed to deal with? Not them. I don't know. Get out before we have to deal with them. Do something else. Figure it out. I don't, I don't know. You know, that's just kind of it's kind of a weird I wouldn't call it an excuse, but it's weird to hear that. Like, who else we deal with? Figure something else out. We have we're the USA, man. Come on. Yeah, I no. think that's going to be the unfortunate the the last word on this subject. Fresh faces, sorry to cut you off. That I think we're going to move on to our next topic because we could probably go you know further into depth. There's so many different layers to talk about. We could talk about how the Taliban abuses people. You know, in the country of Afghanistan, we could talk about all the different factors that led into why we were there, why we were staying, so on and so forth. So I am by no means saying that this conversation is done, but you know, since we do have a couple more conversations to talk about for this episode, we are going to transition for right now. 
so the next topic that I do want to speak on is the the idea of whether or not social media platforms should ban hate speech. Now, this is something that I've seen floated on Twitter as well as on Instagram. Uh, different people saying that you know over the last year and a half during the pandemic, we have seen you know Instagram and Twitter and Facebook basically flag anything that had the word COVID or vaccine in it. And just have like a little like disclaimer underneath that. And so the question then was proposed, should the tech companies be going a, a step further and doing something similar or maybe even beyond that? And just since they do have the ability to analyze all speech on their platform, whether it's in a video or in text, should they be putting either disclaimers or outright banning hate speech on social media platforms? Now, there is a variety of different ways that we could go with this conversation. So I'm actually going to start off with Ashlyn this time. So do you think that these giant tech companies should be banning hate speech? Uh, yes, no. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think that this is hard and why this has been a debate for a really long time now. You know, do I want to see KKK members and the Proud Boys touting their ideas on social media? Absolutely not. So from that side of my, you know, my, from my personal perspective, would I love to see all of the things that I don't like flagged and removed? Yeah, I would. That would be great. But, you know, I think it goes beyond that. And everyone who has covered this in the last, you know, 10 years since social media has become this huge entity is who is deciding what who they're flagging you know i mean personally i a lot of people that i follow that are activists on the left side have been flagged and removed you know there's there's argument from the conservative side that says oh well they're taking down all our stuff and you know these social media platforms are all left-leaning and so these are the ideas that they're promoting and you know I, that's just not true um number one people are being flagged and banned and removed on both sides and you know, this is a this is a huge thing. And I, I could be probably swayed either way on this, because I think what it comes down to is what systems are we putting in place to actually flag and remove these? Is it, you know, I mean, I don't know, how do you choose what words you're going to have your algorithm pull out to ban people? We have too many people involved in social media to have a an efficient and effective policing method of it. You know, it's, I think it's almost too big to be able to, to put a really effective process in the works. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough thing. Yeah, no, definitely it is. And that, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to pose this question to the panel itself, because it does feel like a very conflicting question. So I'm going to now pass this on to Fresh Faces New Ideas. Where do you stand on these tech platforms and whether or not they should be policing language more on their, you know, on their platforms themselves? Okay. Um, yeah, very quickly, I just want to say to the, both Lord and Ashton, if you guys ever want to come onto my show, I can reach out to you after this and we can you know, discuss anything else in further, especially what I know that like the, the Afghanistan stuff, we definitely have a much larger conversation. Um, as for this, so there are hate speech laws. They exist in, in Europe. I have not spent time looking into them. I just had to, I was literally Googling trying to figure out where they were because I knew they existed. I just forgot where. Um, so these are not things that I have, uh, I have totally looked into. But I agree with Ashley. It's, it's the issue of, you know, 
what are we considering hate speech? Um, I, I remember Twitter came out, I think it was after January 6th or around that time, saying that um, if they started banning like like neo-Nazis and stuff, they would hit a lot of conservative uh, politicians. And and that is a something that they had to worry about. A lot of like they were purging people after after uh, January 6th. I remember like the, the whole CPAC was, oh, I lost 40,000 Twitter followers. Well, yeah, they were probably like Nazis. Um, I mean, look, we can we can agree that certain ideologies are bad. <laughs> um, they, and, but that it really just comes down to how we're wording this. Oh, this is probably something I'd have to spend more time looking into. Should we, you know, decry hate speech? And yeah, obviously, um, we there there's obviously ideologies that one can figure is wrong. But then it goes both ways. Like for example, the I don't know how many of you saw the Project Veritas thing that was going around about the the Antifa teacher in California. Um, they're basically saying, well he's antifa and that's bad but like the opposite is fascism so like like where you like like they, they're clearly making a boogeyman out of something that we where the opposite side should be the problem so it's it, it all comes down to like who's presenting it and what is, what are the actual actual mechanisms for oversight and what is considered like the bad speech right and, and so i, I think one of the things that prompted me to ask this question particularly was, you know, as some of you know, I am constantly doing poll questions on my Instagram account. And one of my recent questions last month was this exact question. And when I asked this question, 61% of the people who responded said yes. And so, which, you know, then again, led me to think like, oh, well, maybe we should be having a broader discussion on this topic. And so now I'm going to bring in Lloyd, where do you fall in on this question? Do you think the tech platform should be banning hate speech? Yeah, uh, I think the answer is pretty indefinitely yes. I think I think not only that, I'll go a step further, actually. I think this is maybe a new opinion, but I think they should ban more than hate speech. I think they should just ban. I, I think that there should be so much more regulation on tech platforms, given what they're clout, right? I, I I'm, a, you know, I'm a libertarian at heart, right? But like the idea that like um, what's right and what feels good are different, right? Like we know that because of how fast misinformation spreads on Facebook, that's a problem, right? It's a big issue. It's a bad thing. It's, there's really no good to it. Like Russia was able to pretty easily influence, you know, our election by just by just going to Facebook, right? So I think that like we we really should put a, a much harder lockdown on on social media. Not only that, like you, you mentioned earlier, I don't know who it was. It was I don't know if it was Ashlyn or if it was Fresh, but you said that like because they would ban politicians, well, that you're sort of admitting that like they already are special rules that need to be followed and we should we should regulate that. I, I, I also disagree with, with you, Ashton, earlier when you said that, what do we do? Um, they have, they can like, if you if you talk about, you know, uh, um, you know uh, orange juice, you'll get an ad for orange juice in like two seconds. Like they're clearly, have, they have the ability and it, it just depends on where the money's at. They have the ability to make changes and they can do things that are revolutionary, you know, like these ad, the advertisement, target advertising, listening to you, looking at what you type where you're at, your location, GPSing you. They have all this crazy technology they can do. They go to space. We have all this crazy satellites. Like this idea that we can't, they can't figure it out is, is a lie. They figured it all out. They know everything. So uh, they could definitely find rules. It just depends on where the money is, right? Obviously, the, you know, it, it, capitalism really at the end of the day is what it is. But um, yeah, there's, I, I think there's no reason not to regulate them way stricter, including hate speech to include, uh, just misinformation in general. Uh, I think they should give them some kind of modified version of publisher rights, where they can just they can just unpublish you right away. Like just boom, you're gone. You know, 
I, I don't know why we wouldn't be able to do that. It's, it sounds silly because they're tech giants. They're, they're huge companies that have massive clout and massive abilities. And they've shown that, yes, we can, we can regulate them way worse, way more than we do easily. Not question. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with my, my two cents on this issue now. I am in the place where if it was kind of like how they're doing it right now with coronavirus, where they have like a little, like a, a little, like, I guess a little like link at the bottom saying, you know, like this is, this would be categorized as hate speech, so on and so forth. I don't think I'd have an issue with that just so that, you know, like basically the tech platforms are, you know, making aware that what they're seeing is wrong in some way, shape or form, if they had something along those lines, but outright banning it, I'm just not exactly a real big fan of because I, I don't know where that slope ends. You know, like what exactly becomes hate speech after a while? Cause that's such a broad category. You know, I guess, I guess it depends on how it's defined, you know, because what exactly falls under the umbrella of hate speech would really uh, just tell me whether or not I was for or against it. But, you know, I, I think when you just loosely define it as I assumed it probably would be, if we just called it just hate speech, I, I think eventually that can just be used against anyone and kind of just silencing people's ability to have, you know, to have discussions on whatever they want to have discussions on, which I'm ultimately opposed to. I, I do think freedom of speech should be protected. But at the same time, I do think that people should have consequences for the speech that they have. And so I think if you have, you know, maybe something I'd be opposed, I wouldn't be opposed to would be, you know, if you categorically say like hateful, nasty things and you've been flagged several times, maybe your account gets suspended temporarily. Maybe after a few times of getting suspended, you get suspended, per you get banned permanently. But I, I do think that there should be a little bit of, I guess, a little bit more moderation on the tech platforms point, but I wouldn't want to see a full like, authoritarian kind of like banning of certain words and practices outright. But now I kind of want to open it up for everyone to have their discussion on this. Uh, Ashlyn, you have been, yes, I, I think that you want to respond. Go ahead and uh, go ahead first. Well, I, I have a couple of things. So number one, you know, like Lloyd said, capitalism is what's ruling this. We, we as a nation, I mean, the talk of like, well, we should regulate them more and, and we should do this. Well, who is we? If we're asking the government to do this, then we're asking them to remove our right for free speech. And again, I, we all agree that, you know, certain things are, are hateful and shouldn't be allowed, but that is the right of living in this country. And it comes down to the money that these platforms are making and nobody wants to actually take a stand for the most part. And could these tech platforms do this? Yeah, of course they could. They're already doing a form of it right now and they could do as much as they want. They can put whatever they want into their user agreements, but they don't wanna do that because they don't wanna piss off whichever side they're afraid they're going to piss off. And that's really, you know, that's what it comes down to. It's everybody has things that they don't want to see. And, you know, Twitter has already banned people. Should they have banned Trump? Of course, absolutely. But they can ban whoever they want. Instagram takes people down all the time and, you know, locks them out of their account for a certain number of days because they think that they've said things that they shouldn't be saying. So it's like, it's already happening, but and it could happen on whatever scale they want it to. They just have to make that decision. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about, well, these companies are monopolies. And so the government should have something to say about 
the way that they're practicing because they're not going up against anybody. You know, they're in conflict with antitrust laws. There's no competition. So, you know, I mean, Parler popped up out of nowhere because the right side felt like they were being quieted. I listened to a podcast actually this morning where the, like the creator of Parler was talking about why he created it. And interestingly enough, he didn't sound as a, uh, right-leaning as I thought he would. Um, but he said, you know, the way we do it on our side is we don't ban anyone, uh, but we let kind of a jury of their peers decide, you know, if they should be removed or not. And the commentator said, well, isn't your platform kind of an echo chamber for one group of people? And so they're probably all going to side the exact same way. So I think that that's a, another kind of interesting thing about social media is, I mean, my social media leans towards the way that I think, and that's just the way that it is. Um, you know, I listen to people of opposing views all the time because I live in Montana and my family lives in the South. So I'm surrounded <laughs> by opposing opinions, but you know, yeah, they can, they can do whatever they want. And the social media outlets are choosing not to. And if our government decides to make them do it, First Amendment goes bye-bye. Um, but could they if they wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. We could make some big cultural changes if making money wasn't so important. Well, also there's, there's other things that, so like, the thing with Trump being banned, the the always response is, well, uh, the the I think it's the Mullahs, the ruler of Iran, or the the Grand Ayatollah, whatever he is called on the Taliban, is still on Twitter. And the, my argument for that is simple: they either treat world leaders all differently than the rest of us, where they don't fall under any TOS issues, or they treat them all equally. Like you can't make special, you know, concessions. I mean, they made a bunch for Trump. They had to like create multiple new ways of dealing with his tweets in order to deal with them. So as long as you're, you know being even handed across the board, that's fine. Um, if we want to worry about these, these tech platforms being, you know, like privatized, obviously antitrust is a good one, but then we should, we should have them be clarified as news agencies. So there's stricter rules on how they function because they basically function as news agencies. I mean, the percentage of people who get their, their information from Twitter or Facebook or, or, or Instagram or wherever is massive. And Facebook knows it has these issues. Uh, they, their own, they understand that their own algorithms, uh, Radicalize people 65% of the time. You 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 end up looking on, uh, you know, what is a, a cure for COVID and now you're curing them. You know, it like it spirals. Um, but yeah, this is a lot of it comes down to who is making these rules. And if and you know, Lloyd, when you said, you know, we know that this is a problem, like, yeah, I have a problem that some one party is consistently tied to what do we consider like hateful Nazi rhetoric? And I think they should be removed for that. But his their the problem is these are the ones who, and let's be real about the reason they're not going to is because the Republican Party, as much as they bitch about big tech, is not actually going to do anything. They they made multiple threats, but they're not actually doing because they're the ones who, who take the money. They're the ones who uh, I don't remember if you remember this when um, uh, the, the first time they were doing the voter suppression bill in Texas, Mitch McConnell came out and said, hey, listen, corporations should, you know, you know, they shouldn't say anything about politics, but they should still give us money. They just should shut the fuck up. Like it's, it's, um, it's like, they're the party that, you know, they talk big to their base and then they don't do anything. And as for like things like parlor and gab, the issue with those is if you don't have some type of 
TOS, you end up with these like hell holes because the people who go to those sites, they want to just own the libs. They want to, you know, post Nazi memes. They want to, you know, be uh, misogynistic. Like they wanted, there's a reason those sites all co- collapse into this like hateful hole, black hole every single time. It's because that's the type of people who are there. And if there's no uh, libs there for them to own, they just like collapse on themselves. So, you know, it's fun for these things that the parlors, the, the gabs, the uh, Frank speech, if that's even a thing or whatever Mike Liddell was doing, like they all have the same pattern. So it's, it's you know, it ultimately for hate speech, it comes down to, like we've all pretty much said is, is who's making the decisions. Like they, they can do this. If it, the question is, you know, what are the guidelines that we're giving them? Can I, can I round this off? I have yeah, some, definitely. I want, I want to respond to kind of everybody here, right? Like uh, I, I agree with that, like almost to the T, like it's, yeah, the, everything you said, I just want to echo. That's good. Good stuff here. But like um, the first, you said the first amendment thing, Ashlyn, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true. Cause like, I think, you know, new when newspapers were a thing, like they had to get published. You had to, you had to go to a newspaper. It had to agree with you. It would edit your, 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 your viewpoint to, to a respectable, whatever they consider respectable. And then they would publish it. And then if they got sued, the newspaper would get sued, not you, because they took the responsibility of having you on there. Right. And that's kind of the same thing that with social media, it's like, obviously it's way bigger than any newspaper has ever been. And so like, there's no way that Facebook can agree or, 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 you know, hard publish everything that goes on the site but like we gotta make rules for it we gotta do something you know because like what what is it's clearly not working right i don't think it's about i think it's not working what we're ha- misinformation is is getting through QAnon should not exist that stuff should not even exist that didn't exist at least to this level when newspapers were a thing because it just you just couldn't go anywhere you want and get any instant agreements without censorship at all it's just it's crazy how QAnon is a thing, you know, describe, if you were to describe QAnon to me 20 years ago, I would, would laugh at you, but it's a real thing. And a lot of people fall for it. It's not working. We have to do something. So yeah, I think, I don't think the answer is like, should we, I think it's like, how do we ban hate speech? How do we stop misinformation? Cause it's becoming, it's becoming like a, like a pandemic. It's becoming so dangerous that it's, it's hurting our democracy it, it, to me. And, and like, it's one of the, it's one of the secret, reasons we're we're have we're in this mess we're in you know like no one thinks about it but we need to do something like tech should step in and do something about the government should step in like that's that's the role of the government like we're not yes we are giving some of the freedom up of course to a private to, you know private companies will lose their freedom but like it's hurting us so we have to do something that's the that is what government does so i don't know if, if, if the first amendment is really applies here because it's not you don't have you don't have the right to hurt other people and I think that's what's happening. We're clearly down this path of danger where we're people like Trump are winning elections. QAnon exists, you know, it's crazy. So I don't know. Can I just put something in about the QAnon stuff? So sure. I think, yes, it is true that QAnon should exist just because of the absolute absurdity of what it is. Um, but it's, it's a special kind of conspiracy. Let's be clear about this. Conspiracy theories have existed forever. Part of the reason that QAnon is able to sprawl out and it can, you know, get the flat earthers, it can get the anti-vaxxers, it can get the anti-government types is because of, you know, the amorphous version of what, how this is. But a lot of that is not like, like when you refer to 20 years ago, I mean, that that's just a product of the internet and being able to be in contact with all these people. Like if we didn't have the ability to just gather mass groups of people who had interesting thoughts together, things like that wouldn't spread. So that's part of why the internet is both a blessing and a curse. So yeah, 20 years ago, something like QAnon could exist. It would be a lot smaller 
and it would be a lot less damaging. But because we have access, like everybody has access to it, it is easier for it to spread. And that's why the, the growth of QAnon exploded during the lockdowns because everyone was home and they had nothing to do. But like, well, why does the government hate me? Like it, that's how it grows. So shouldn't True. we ban it then? Shouldn't we regulate Should we ban QAnon or ban the internet? Shouldn't we regulate the internet way heavier then? Oh, yeah. But look, like you're never going to get rid of uh, all conspiracy theories. Like there are some of them that are harmless. Like flat earthers are generally harmless. Um, You know, uh, the the anti-moon landing people are generally harmless. The anti-vaxxers are definitely harmful. And and they and if you are a um, I I know we'll get to this later, but if you are a a, any type of medical professional uh, like the entire uh, frontline for American doctors, they should all be arrested for for a threat the threat to public health that they go because they are putting faces like professional faces to a movement that is literally getting people people killed. Right, and I saw. I guess I'll kind of like jump in here to to finish this off. I think implementation is everything because how we go down this path will be very crucial to everything else. Because once you start banning certain parts of speech on these platforms, which have become public utilities, whether or not they want to admit that they are a public utility. Once you start going down that path, the question is what's next? Because once you start going down the, the hate speech path, do you start banning anti, you know, like eight anti-nation speech? If you're saying things that are against the countries, do you start, you know, do you start ban- do you start regulating other types of speech? And so I don't think there's anything wrong with regulating hate speech, but I think it's very important about how exactly it's done and what the scope is what exactly falls underneath the umbrella. And I I think as long as we have very defined terms and it's not this open, vague thing, then I think that we can all kind of, you know, more or less come to a true understanding of whether or not it is truly a good idea, a bad idea, worth doing, worth pursuing, so on and so forth. But I want to transition to our final topic of the panel. And it was kind of a late edition. We weren't exactly going to cover this today, but Given what happened in Texas this week, I feel like that was a very important topic to cover now. So the state of Texas signed into law a heartbeat bill, I think is what they're calling it, where they are banning abortions after six weeks, which to my understanding would effectively nullify around 85% of abortions uh, that do happen in our country. Now, the Supreme Court's uh, I guess they, I, I forget exactly what the procedure was called, but th- they didn't exactly rule on its constitutionality, but rather they just decided not to block it. So, and they voted on that in a 5-4 fashion. So now that what allows that to happen is that this Texas bill will become law effectively. And now there are millions of women in Texas who will no longer have access to this health care. And so I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on this bill, whether or not they think it's just, whether or not they think that the Supreme Court made the right decision here. And so I do want to acknowledge that three of us on the panel here are men, so not the best representative to talk about this. But I do want to start off this conversation with Ashlyn. What what are your thoughts on what happened in Texas? And do you think that the Supreme Court should be, well, should have voted differently? Can I ask to go last? Because I would, I would love to know if, like, just if there are any specific things that you I can one hundred percent go last. I would love to go last. Fresh faces, new ideas. You're, you have not gone first yet, so you're going first this time. Okay. Uh, so, um, anyone who happened to 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 hop into my last uh, stream, I actually covered abortion at the end and uh, this. Let Let's just talk about this law as it is. This law is 
first, unconstitutional as fuck. Um, you cannot ban abortions before uh, 22 weeks. That's what Roe said. It is unconstitutional. Secondly, the reason that the Supreme Court ruled the way it did was first, because this has been a decades-long project to overturn Roe. That is a, that is a, a not relevant point. They already had this teed up uh, for when they were looking at the Mississippi ban in a couple months. So this is this is not this is not a, a new thing. The, the idea of how they did this law. So basically what this law says is the, the government doesn't enforce this. The four of us inf technically enforce this law. If we know of any woman in Texas who got an abortion after six weeks, we can sue her. We can sue the abortion provider. We can sue the guy who drove her there. We can sue her friend who she had a conversation with. We can sue the um, we can sue if she set up a GoFundMe page. We sue that one. We can sue uh, if she went to a rape doctor about this, uh, that if I raped her and I know she got an abortion, my friend can sue her for that abortion. I can't do that. That's written in the law. The person who directly raped her can't do that, but somebody else can sue her for that. This law is unbelievably terrible, and it basically sets up an entire system of vigilante justice. And I hope every single blue state is immediately drafting a variation of this particular law about either anti-mask or guns or whatever not whatever thing they want to go after for to make this to make the Supreme Court rule that this type of law is unconstitutional because this law is so bad. We're not even talking like like I'm sorry, I feel bad for these women. It's like unbelievable that this happened directly after we just had Republicans going, but what about the women in Afghanistan? Like if and then obviously the follow-up to this is if your argument is now okay, abortion is banned. I hope the next bill you're passing is an enhancement in prenatal care, an enhancement in um, in child welfare, an enhancement for the uh, minimum wage so that people can then afford to take off, uh, an enhancement in um, pre-K care. Like, unless you're doing all these things, it's just to punish women. And there should be some, let's be clear about this as well. There should absolutely be some type of responsibility for the men because women don't just spontaneously get pregnant. There was a movie about that on Netflix where they spontaneously got pregnant <laughs> and then ultimately men got wiped out. But that's not how this works. A man is required to, for this to happen. So by by not having any responsibility on the man as well, your purpose, this bill is just designed to go after women. It's like literally the the, the, the absurdity of this bill is just insane. Um, but this is what happens when you have a Supreme Court tilted this way. And for and this is not relevant to, but all those people who are saying, uh, fuck you, Bernie bros, because uh, Hillary would have stopped this. Uh, you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. You literally don't understand politics if that is your your understanding of what happened here. Okay, so spicy. So well, I'm a Bernie I, bro. So like like that's they're they're blaming me for this. I voted for Hillary. She she lost because she was a bad candidate, but that's not the point. Right. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Fresh faces, new ideas. I want to add a little bit of extra context into this because it's one thing to talk about the fact that Texas is the num is the second biggest state in the country as far as population is concerned, that there are close to 30 million people that fall, you know, within this state's boundaries. And I'm sure, you know, approximately like 14 to 15 million women that we're talking about in this state. But it's, it's not just women in Texas who are going to be affected by this, because effectively, what I think is going to happen here is gonna be a, a domino effect that's going to happen in so many other states, because I'm looking at a, an article that Axios put out recently. And they said that just this year, North Dakota, Iowa, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia all attempted to implement restrictive bans, and they were declared unconstitutional, as well as Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Ohio had laws they tried to pass that were temporarily blocked. And Idaho and Louisiana have what they're calling uh, trigger point bills, which can be essentially put into effect if other legislation comes in first. 
And so there is a huge wave of other dominoes that could fall. You know, if this Texas bill stands up, which the Supreme Court refused to deem constitutional or unconstitutional. So with all that being said, this isn't really just about Texas. So Lloyd, now that I'm bringing this over to you now, what are your thoughts on this bill? And did the Supreme Court, I guess, bungle this? Or was this, is this part of their, is this part of the plan? Like, are they eventually going to rule Roe unconstitutional here in a few months? I think the Supreme Court absolutely did fuddle this. I think, I think Fresh Faces, you're exactly right. Like there's two, there's two arguments here. There's a constitutional law-based argument, and then there's the argument about abortion, whether you, what you agree with abortion. Like, I'm not going to focus on the abortion part of it. I personally think abortion should be legal. Not my choice. I just don't give a shit what you do with your body as a female. I don't. It's just not my problem, right? Uh, but to the law argument, though, it is absolutely, this, this law is so bad, right? So you, you pretty much nailed all my points. It's just a bad law. It's, it's, it, it, I, I have no idea how Again, I don't, I don't, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I just don't know how it got, like how they didn't rule it unconstitutional. It, it, there's so many laws like just like it that have been ruled unconstitutional or delayed or whatever. I have no idea how this got through. So to me, yeah, this feels like a clear Supreme Court failure on my part. And uh, this kind of shows you like, hey man, your vote, your vote does matter. So when the next president comes up, you better better know that, that the person is pro-choice or, or not, you know, because this is absolutely, this to me is absolutely ridiculous that the Supreme Court didn't just shoot this down right away. That being said, right, um, I'm actually strangely optimistic, I guess, right? Like you said, it's the dominoes you're talking about. I think that there's another set of dominoes that is going to happen. I think that the country as a whole, we're getting more pro-choice. We're getting less evangelical. We're getting less, uh, I think we're getting more progressive in, in, in weird ways. So I think that this, attempts like this are just going to show the new, gener- new generation of voters, younger people, I think eventually we'll have more and more voice. Maybe they won't take over like we're hoping they will, but more voice. And then at that point, this is going to convince people like you're the way of thinking that has led to this is flawed. And so we will get more progressive ideas. And not that I, not that I'm some screaming progressive, you know, I, I don't think I'm more progressive, but you know, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Oh no, he was just no, saying, I was just saying I, Oh yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Not that, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more libertarian in a lot of ways, but like, I think that this will lead to, more people realizing how stupid this kind of these kind of laws are when you when you actually look at the law like i said like he said it is absolutely stupid so yeah that's my that's my optimism about it is that this will lead to a more progressive future if it if not just for this kind of thing that's that's a win in my book even if this law i don't think it lasts long and i think this leads to uh, the opposite result of what the people who pass it are hoping for all right. Well, I usually go last on each one of these topics, but Ashlyn requested to go last this time. So I will put in my take really quickly here. I am completely for, you know, body autonomy. So I am, you know, pro-choice completely. And it is undeniable to me that there is nothing really about this bill other than trying to control people's bodies, kind of to control women's bodies. Because as you were pointing out, Fresh Faces, there isn't also some you know, like push alongside of this to make sure that contraceptive is going to be free or that they're going to be enhancing sex education within the state of Texas or that they're going to be going out and making sure that women have more access to birth control, you know, like IUDs, that they're going to be, you know, going out of their way to make sure that men, I guess, like are going to be responsible for um, <laughs> responsible for childcare. Like, I guess, like at the point of six weeks, like, do they start paying child support immediately? Uh, that's the question I want to ask next. I mean, 
it just, it doesn't make any sense to me that you would put this into place. And I know that for a long time, there has been this push, you know, like in the conservative sphere, as far as wanting to ban abortions, but honestly, maybe I just haven't been seeing enough conservatives have this conversation, but it always feels like it's just men having these conversations, you know, about how they need to ban abortion. But I, I just, I do not see anything positive that can come out of this because the fact of the matter is, is that banning abortion in this way doesn't actually ever truly stop people from having abortions. It just stops people from having safe abortions. You've heard that from all over the place, but it's 100% true. It's going to affect poor women the most, people who don't have the means to leave the state of Texas in order to go somewhere else to get these set operations because people who are wealthy are still going to be able to go ahead and leave Texas and go have their operations done elsewhere or go get care elsewhere. But the poor women of that state are not going to have the ability to do so. I had a woman reach out to me on Twitter this week who worked in an abortion clinic outside of Galveston, Texas. She was absolutely outraged by this because she was sharing with me some of her stories about helping women in those clinics over the years and all the different like things that they had to go through, you know, like in that current environment. Now they just made it tremendously worse. This is an absolute stain, and I hope that Greg Abbott gets ousted out of that governorship in, in 2022, because this law is an absolute travesty, in my opinion. But now, Ashlyn, please join us and tell us what your feelings are on this topic. Perfect. Well, I, I feel grateful to be, you know, sitting here with three men who, you know, have their heads on straight, because there's a lot of them who don't. But, you know, if we're talking about the law specifically and you know we're not here to have a discussion about whether abortion is right or wrong um but the law itself is just asinine and hysterical because you know first places like you said this is not about you know the, the government having an opinion on what you do with your body this is about turning all of the people against each other realistically is there any way that this is actually going to work. I mean, you know, you've got all of the people up on a soapbox who feel like, you know, they're going to use all of these resources to report women and report all the people who help them get an abortion. But, you know, you've got this huge movement of people on the other side now who say, well, we're just going to flood these databases with ridiculous information. I mean, nobody is actually going to be able to get useful, you know, useful information to prosecute people. Um, and I think it's hysterical that the people who put these laws into place don't recognize that they're going to affect them too. I think the biggest problem that has always been had with abortion is that nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about, you know, that they had one done or why they had one done because it's always been a subject that was wrong. Even if you have an abortion to save your own fucking life, we don't want to talk about it because it, it feels like, you know, we, we did something wrong. I think, you know, that comes down to what women are taught that they're here for. Um, and when they do anything in opposition of that, you know, there's like this thought that you're just inherently a horrible person. But the fact of the matter is there are so many abortions that legally happen each year. I mean, there, there's like 
I think back in 2018 or 19 was the last time they actually took the data. And there were like 700,000 abortions that were documented that year. And that's not, you know, plan B morning after pill. That's actually someone who's going in and having an abortion done. That's 12 people per, you know, a thousand women. That's crazy. That's a huge amount of people who are getting abortions every year. We need to stop pretending like it's not happening and like it's wrong and just acknowledge that it's happening, number one, and understand why it's happening. I don't know if you guys have seen the video from years ago where a, a politician is speaking with a reporter on his, uh, you know, campaign platform and she asks if he's pro-choice and he says of course not abortion's wrong nobody should ever have one and she said well why do you think a woman would choose to have an abortion and he just blank faces and he goes well i don't know i'm i'm not a woman so i, I guess i haven't ever thought about it and it's like surprise are you, kidding? <laughs> are you kidding me like this is yeah this is ridiculous and and yeah aside from being a war on women like this is a war on impoverished women because just like you said texas is massive it's not as simple as saying oh well you know drive 20 minutes to this other place you can have it done you can't do that that's that's not possible and you know the fact that there are a lot of abortion banning laws they always allow exceptions for rape incest you know if there's life-threatening condition to the mother or the fetus like there are always exceptions you can't come out right now and say that a father can rape his 11 year old daughter and you know she's probably going to die during childbirth but she has to go through with it nothing about pro-life is pro-life it's pro-birth and it's not about saving lives we're not saving any lives by pushing more children into poverty pushing more children into abusive situations and pushing women into financial mental and physical detriment just to be like oh well, we you know didn't harm a non-fully formed fetus like it's it's insane i agree with all of you and i agree with you lloyd i think that the amount of like people that are overwhelmingly in opposition to this are just coming in and gonna say no no <laughs> we're, we're not we're not gonna deal with this this is ridiculous this has been such a long fight and here we are with the same people who are saying you know my body my choice i'm not gonna wear a mask i'm not gonna get a vaccine but i'm gonna tell a woman that you know she can't do what she wants with her body it's you know, it's just hysterical. Like it's insanity. It's madness. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I think that's, that's the perfect word to throw into this, which is why I, I didn't even think it was relevant to, you know, ask the question whether or not abortion, you know, like is ethical or not, which I was just talking about just the law in, in principle, because I, I just, I don't understand how we're still having that conversation, but maybe that's just me and my bias coming up. And now I, I want to just open this up for everyone uh, to jump in. Cause you know, one of the takes that I heard was, you know, well, maybe instead of board, you know, like uh, banning abortions, maybe we should just be asking all men to get reversible vasectomies, you know, cause maybe that might be the simpler answer here. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's very obvious that this is a thing to control them because let's see. All right. So if you're banning abortions, then I imagine that the the number of children in Texas in child care or in foster homes is going to shrink dramatically as all these pro-life people go adopt them. 
Uh, <laughs> also, uh, uh, Desmond, to put back on the 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 non women. Well, there's a couple of them. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, when she's not spouting um, uh, Nazi stuff for uh, or Jewish COVID space lasers or space lasers, is yeah. very anti-abortion. This is something she says. She says it's murdering millions of people. It's the worst thing we've ever done. This has gone so far to both her and Lauren Boebert both voted against the um, the reauthorization of a bone marrow transplant, giving them money because her argument was there's nothing in this that has language stopping abortion. This is this is a real thing. You can look this up. She actually voted against. They both voted against this. I think Lauren Boebert voted against it for a different. But this was Marjorie Taylor Greene's direct reason. She's like, this has nothing to do with abortion. Oh, yeah. Bobert did it because of its government say the problem is right. they're too stupid to figure out what's going on. Can, but like, can I just this say is- something to that really quickly here before you go on? I, I think politicians like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Laura Bobert is, is that how you pronounce her last name? Yeah. I think she's out, out of Colorado. I don't know why we take these people seriously. Like we all know that they're like a walking like, comment section, right? They're just walking trolls. They're not really out there trying to like actually implement real policy. They're just talking shit, right? Like they're not actually like truly believing in anything that they actually say. I mean, do, do people actually believe them when they speak? No, yes. the thing she says, she believes. Marjorie Taylor Greene 100% yes. believes everything she says. That woman is a lunatic. The, there's two things. One, the reason we have to pay attention to them is because the base loves them. Marjorie Taylor Greene is the number one fundraiser in the in, in the Congress. In Congress, she's the number one fundraiser. Now, um, on to Lauren Boebert. There is some good news. Apparently, during the redistricting of Colorado, her district became significantly bluer, so there's a good chance she's going to lose anyway. Um, on top of the fact that she's a lunatic and has no idea about anything. Um, so that that is funny in itself. But look, like we, we can go on about this. It, this is a, a nonsense fight that they've been pushing for. And hopefully the backlash is we get, you know, the, the, the Gen Z kids are, you know, writing all the scripts that's crashing all the websites. Um, hopefully, you know, I think it's like 70 percent of the country wants abortion in some in some form or another. I hopefully they're going to backlash against this. And I think, look, if it takes a little while for the Supreme Court to overturn this or somebody to write a law that ultimately gets this overturned, I hope we see some like really obvious cases of them fucking with this. Like, because part of the only way for them to do this is they have to stand outside of these abortion clinics because otherwise it violates HIPAA laws um, for them to 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 to, to charge these people. Um, the and the other thing we're going to see is there's going to be a lot of frivolous lawsuits because for me to bring the lawsuit for this, there is no. There's no detriment to me. I don't have to pay like 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 I don't get in trouble for bringing just a random ass lawsuit. I just have to pay whatever the lawyer fees are. And if I somehow find a judge who who helps me win this, well, now I'm ten thousand dollars richer and I can go do this. Like the, the incentive to this is just not there's like no good way. You can't logically look at this and talk about this in good faith. Um, and, and Lloyd, last thing to what you said, the Supreme Court did not fail. The Supreme Court, as it's currently instructed, 100 percent did what their job was. They all wanted to overturn Roe. That's why they picked the Missouri case. The problem was, then this is why John Roberts voted uh, in the dissent, is because he didn't want to do it in this case. Because even he's like, come on, guys, we can't allow this. Like, we all we all want to get rid of Roe, but like, not this way. So the, the lunatics on the right were, were totally happy, and this was their goal, and they've been saying it basically since Roe existed. And this is just, this is just a bad law. And hopefully, maybe this will get them to... Uh, to uh, pay some some a price for being just lunatics right i want to just slightly like shift the conversation a little bit towards the supreme court right now because that is something that has also kind of come up with this conversation is people i think was aoc immediately was saying that we should you know be packing the court i think other people also said that we should be packing the court do 
does the panel and anyone can answer this question, but do any of you think that packing the Supreme Court is the answer to this problem of what we're seeing right now with these abortion laws? I can go first, but I'm very long winded, but <laughs> I think, yes, absolutely. It is. Look, uh, I think it's uh, five of the current judges on the Supreme Court have been put there by uh, presidents who did not win the popular vote of the country. The we are stuck with a conservative majority for at least my lifetime. And I think I'm the youngest person on this panel. Um, the we, we're stuck with it. Um, hopefully Breyer retires like right now. Um, because I don't know if Larry Elder is going to win in California, so he might somehow be able to replace uh, Diane Feinstein. So then we lose the Senate, and then we're all fucked. Um, I mean, he needs to retire so that we can replace him. So in like eight years, when uh, when there's a Republican and he dies, we're not in the same position as RBG. Like this is not a we we have to expand the Supreme Court just on the sense that it would make it fairer for so that it actually represents the will of the people. And this is not unprecedented. This happens again. This isn't. This has been done without even passing laws. For people who don't forget, uh, remember, the Supreme Court had eight members for like the last year of the Obama administration simply because Mitch McConnell was like, no, fuck you. I'm not sitting anybody. Yeah, Merrick Garland's just going to sit there. So this is not unprecedented. There's his, There's historical uh, history for this. We can figure out how to change it later. But the Supreme Court does not represent the will of the people. And it is a just an arbitrary body at this point that can decide to overturn pretty much any precedent that they want. They don't care about precedent. They're just too much of the, the court is radicalized. We're not going to be able to get uh, any abortion rights. There's they're sure shit not going to allow us to pass any uh, uh, voters rights because uh, John Roberts basically decides anytime there's a voter right, I'm going to shoot it with the gun. Uh, we're like hanging on to Obamacare by a thread. It There's like the, the existence of this, this democracy relies on us changing how the Supreme Court works. You know what? Let me let me let me chime in here. I think I think you're I think you're right. I, I don't know about back in the court. I, I think the issue to me is that they have lifetime appointments. Like you know, a 30, 40 year old gets on there, they're on there for 40 years. That's in, that's insane. That's absurd. Like that is insane. What, it changed, yeah. Like the history, like society changes so much in that time frame, right? That's a that's a huge problem. Um, and so they're they're dying on the screen, but people that are almost about to die are making choices on like healthcare. Like what? What do you know about healthcare? You, you know, you're 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 in the grave. Like I, I, I'm not trying to like you know sound you know like uh, Ruth Bader. Like, bro, you shouldn't be dying on the Supreme Court. That's crazy. Like, like it's crazy that you she had cancer or whatever. And like that's insane. Like you should be retired. Get, like go somewhere else, man. Like you do not belong on the Supreme Court in in the condition she was in. And same with the other guy, you know, Scalia, like they should not be dying from court. So that's the, that to me, that's the problem is that we have 80 year old people on there who would rather die than, than realize that they, they don't know what they're talking about anymore. And also their lifetime appointments. Those are crazy. I know we've never had term limits on there. The Constitution doesn't really go over that. It's, it says like something about like, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really mention lifetime appointments or, or anything, anything other than lifetime appointments, but Maybe we should put that in there because it's crazy that they do 40 years. Should be 20 years. I don't even think 20 years is crazy. That, that sounds crazy to me as well because they are as powerful as as the president, essentially, right? They have a, they have something close to what the president has. And the president only does eight years, you know? So I don't know. And they're not voted for. Like the, the, the argument against term limits for Congress is that they're voted for. You get every two years to, to six years, you have to vote for them and they can lose at any time. That's not the case for Supreme Court. So why don't they have term limits? It's crazy. Like, get out of here, you know? Ashton, you want to jump in on this one? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I think it's it's funny that, you know, I, I shared something on my Instagram a, a couple of months ago that was like, it's ironic that, you know, we most often don't employ people that are, you know, 70 and older, they are expected to be retired. We don't think that they can do jobs adequately. They're not relevant enough, but they are the majority of people that are running our country. So I agree there should definitely be term limits, the, the number of years that that is, you know, I'm not gonna put something to because I would have no basis, but yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, you shouldn't be sitting on the Supreme Court and able to say, oh yes, I once had a horse and buggy when we're going all electric now. Like, just like you said, what do you know? Like this, <laughs> let's, let's move on. We would have a completely different country, the completely different set of laws if the demographic that made up the majority was actually the one making the rules. And, you know, it's like, the old white men in charge are just kind of grasping at straws right now. And, you know, I mean, we see this consistently. Anytime there is progress in one direction, it's like this huge upheaval of trying to hold on to what we once knew. I think that's exactly what's happening with the abortion law right now is, you know, you are seeing a, an uprising of women who are standing up for themselves and people that are supporting them and you know those on the conservative right are just really trying to hang on as hard as they can and say well okay everyone else uh, it's your job to get them in trouble now and uh yeah i think we all agree that's not going to work but yeah term limits for sure as far as how many justices we need i'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that but I i'm just going to say that Absolutely, we need term limits on the Supreme Court. Absolutely. There's no reason against it. There's no reason for term limits. There's no reason that we should have term limits for the president and not for members of Congress or for the Supreme Court itself. Having a lifetime appointment is absolute insanity to me because if it's supposed to be a co-equal branch of the government, there's no reason to argue that the president should be termed out after eight years or after two terms and that the legislative branch is indefinite and, you know, as long as they just keep getting voted in or that the judicial branch, it just has like one appointment and they're in forever. I mean, and apparently that's codified in the Constitution under Article three, which is what I had to just look up while we were talking about this. It just says that Supreme Court justices hold their office during good behavior, which I guess has been translated into they hold their office for for lifetime. So that is in the Constitution. So it would take a tremendous act to overturn that, but it absolutely should be. There is no reason why someone holding our highest office on the judicial branch should be in power for 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, it, it's absolutely madness to me. Now, should we pack the court? I don't know that that solves the problem. I really don't. And Fresh Faces, I know that you said that you absolutely think that we should. I don't know that it solves the problem because if you if Joe Biden adds four or five justices to the Supreme Court during his administration, what's to stop the next Republican president from doing the same? And then from the next Democrat from doing the same again, and then again, and then again, right? So I, I just don't know that that really ever solves the problem. It seems like it just puts a Band-Aid on a gash. Like you're not actually solving the problem by adding more justices or just temporarily doing what we probably shouldn't be doing, which is radicalizing the court more. If we were going to focus all of our political capital somewhere, I would want it into finding a way to 
putting limits on these justices because yeah, 30, 40 years in a court is, is absolutely it's absurd to me, but yeah, go I please respond. Push back on it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. look, um, I'm fine with term limits. I think the reason we need to pack the court is just to, to, um, to rebalance it. Uh, if we, we, we tie the, the, the expansion to term limits, I'm fine with that, but we, we cannot do something now and just kind of wait it out unless the term limits are going to be pro, uh, um, retroactive retroactive where it would already apply to those and we're, we're basically reseating everyone but like Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and 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 Amy Cohen and Barrett like depending on how long you're putting it on the court like then it's still going to be the same problem unless we expand it like we only get we have to expand it just to to even it out and to like to to tilt it back into the the correct order to like to, to balance it and then we can worry about term limits I and look I do understand the 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 idea of expanding the court can ultimately end up with I think it's like to Turkey has like a hundred people in their court. Like it could ultimately cause some type of uh, kangaroo court, but to just, you know, I think it to, to balance it, it needs to happen. Cause if we just add terminals and we don't make them, you know, retroactive, it's, it's going to cause more problems. I think it's the, the, the best solution because the, the following thing is by expanding the court to allow us to see these people, we can, we can set up some more safeguards so that when the, we, we shrink the court again, it allows us like the expanding the court would allow us to do more voting uh voting right protections to try to like uh deal with some of the the corporate capture of our government like there are things that we cannot do with this current court that would require rebalancing okay well hey i appreciate everyone's you know like feedback on this their you know their opinions on these discussions we are going to wrap up this episode though so i want to give everyone a final chance to kind of like plug themselves and tell everyone where they can find them online if they so choose to. So first, uh, I want to go ahead and open up to Fresh Faces New Ideas. Where can everyone find you, you know, outside of the occasional appearance on these debate panels? Well, uh, you know, if you had more debate panels and you want to bring me out, I'm not going to argue there. But uh, the answer is uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere under Fresh Faces New Ideas. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Fresh Faces New Ideas. YouTube, Fresh Faces New Ideas. I don't update as much as I should on that. Um, Twitter at Faces Ideas. If you go to my Twitter, it has access to my Discord, my my tw uh, my Twitch, my YouTube. Um, it has, I think it is my Instagram too, but I only use Instagram simply for like podcasts uh, to, to, to put those out. Um, but yeah, Fresh Faces, New Ideas. I stream pretty much every day of the week from uh, at 1 p.m. EST. Uh, that might change as, you know, job stuff changes, but you know, I will talk to pretty much anybody about anything. Uh, so if you, you're willing to come on, any, this is an open invitation to anybody and any of your other guests uh, who listen to this in the future, reach out to me and I'll set up a time with you. I, I, I would love to have a conversation with people. I'm very long-winded, uh, as you can see, but you know that's where you find me. All right. And Lloyd, welcome back to the podcast world. Where can everyone find you at for your eventual return to the podcast community? Yes, yeah, when I finally do, right? <laughs> um, uh, my name, L-L-O-Y-D-E, it's just Lloyd. That's, a, that's the same on Twitch. It's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. Um, I, my podcast that I was doing was under the guise of lip, it's called lip service podcast. That's probably going to change. But uh, if I do return, just, just, uh, I want to, I want to kind of simplify it all to my name because that's just what it is, but a lot easier that way, you know, but um, yeah, uh, look for Lloyd. It's on, that's, a, that's the same name on all social media platforms that's my name on twitch that's my gamer name now i've been able to secure luckily not many people in the world have an e on the end of their name like i do so i've been able to like make that my tag and everything you know so uh mo in most places just look for lloyd with an e on the end of it uh if not lloyd ogden you'll find me i'm right there so all right and ashlyn do you want people to find you when this is all said and done <laughs> 
Well, you know, I'm the only one on this panel who uh, doesn't have a podcast. So if you found me on Instagram, which is the only social media that I currently have, it wouldn't be very interesting to you, uh, <laughs> you know, like pictures of my dogs and stuff like that. So, you know, you can't really find me anywhere, but uh, maybe out on the street, the old school way. All right. Not every panelist wants to be found. That is the takeaway here. If you are listening to this episode and you did enjoy this conversation, go ahead and share it on social media, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. If you're on Twitter, go ahead and just share this episode. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you thought of the episode. I want to thank all of my panelists for coming on today. Really do appreciate it. Be on the lookout for a bonus episode with these panelists. We'll be having future conversations about whether or not uh, children should be required to wear masks in school this upcoming year, as well as whether or not healthcare workers should be required to take the vaccine. There'll be further conversations on that. So if you're interested in hearing that conversation, be on the lookout for a bonus episode coming out later this week, depending on when you're listening to this. Thank you to all of my panelists for being on this episode of Independent Thought. We'll be right back after a quick break with some words from our sponsors. And we'll be back with my second part of this episode. Make sure you stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana, that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode, Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Independent Thought. My guest for today is Chris from The Left Speaks. He is a uh, Twitch streamer and he also has a YouTube channel. Chris, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on, Desmond. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I found you on, I believe it was on Twitch, you know, a few weeks back. And I thought that you had some really great content. I remember looking over a few different videos of yours on your YouTube channel. And I wanted to bring you on today just to have a few different, well, have a few different conversations in general, because I thought you had really some great points to talk about. But before we get into all of that, whenever I have a fellow creator come on, I think it's always customary to have them talk a little bit about themselves and what their channel's all about. So really quickly, Tell us all, like, what was the motivation behind starting The Left Speaks? Like, what sparked you wanting to do this for yourself? Well, I greatly uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, really, my main motivation, I, I've always been interested in uh, politics and history. Uh, that's where my degrees were originally. Um, I don't focus in that world professionally anymore. But the, the Trump presidency and the warning signs I was was seeing leading up to the insurrection attempt with the the discrediting of mail-in ballots without any evidence before they were ever even cast. Um, a former coworker of mine who was ex-military like myself, we didn't meet in the military, but um, uh, was taking this extremely seriously. Um, and a lot of discussions back and forth with different people I'd gone to military school with that were taking those allegations seriously started getting me really concerned. So, um, Long story short, a lot, of, a lot of Facebook conversations turned into, you know, hey, maybe I can reach out to more people. And, right. and that's what really inspired this and really, you know, got me to start broadcasting my political arguments, for lack of a better way of putting it, my positions. Yeah. And honestly, if there was going to be a motivation, that's probably a, that's, that's a really good one, especially with everything that we were hearing coming out of the former president's Twitter accounts and interviews yeah. that he was doing, especially last fall, you know, but alongside of covering those types of conversations, what else can someone expect when they come to your channel to hear one of your episodes? Well, since I stream on Twitch, a lot of streamers on Twitch will do hours and have political content mixed in with, you know, video game content or whatever they're doing. Um, my show is very much not like that. Uh, I do two, sometimes three hours a week. It's always on Sunday, starts at 2 p.m. Pacific time, runs till four. I'll go over if we have callers online. Um, the main motivation is to get people talking to each other across the political divide. I think we all spend way too much time in our own little bubble and don't get the information or the accusations or the arguments that the other side has directly from them. Um, for me, uh, to to kind of encourage that, the I, I have a toll free call in line eight five five nine one five left. Uh, it's open and live, and there's up to thirty lines anytime I'm online. And each show is going to be focused on a particular policy position or belief or. Um, some, some in-depth topic to go over. And the phone lines are open to anybody who wants to call in on that week's topic or the previous week's topic in case somebody needed to go do some research and get it back to me. Because I'm not trying to sandbag anybody and I'm not trying to be sandbagged with, you know, off the wall claims. So that's really what you can expect from me is we're going to look in-depth at 
you know, the filibuster and the history of it and whether we should reform it or repeal it or replace it. We're going to look in depth into these claims of voter fraud and whether they're, you know, what the historical rates of voter fraud are and where these sources are coming from. And the, the sources are going to be presented during that show. And if you have something to the contrary, something that's, you know, doesn't go with the information I'm saying, by all means, send it in, by all means, link it in, by all means, call in. The number's toll free. And if you're crazy uncle or dad or whoever, you know, because a lot of uh, Twitch viewers are younger, right? If they disagree with it, hand them the phone. Uh, that's why I went with the phone route instead of having to figure out Discord and all that kind of stuff. I want everybody to be able to participate that wants to participate. Absolutely. And that brings up, you know, I think my first direct question for you that seems very pertinent to what you just said. We are in an era where talking to each other seems more and more scarce, uh, especially now that we're on the other side of this election. It feels as though people are kind of just retreating to their corners and kind of being silent in their own judgments. Why, in your opinion, is it so important that we do try to talk to each other about our differences? Like, why do you focus on that? Conversations can lead to progress. Um, if you have an argument inside of your family and nobody ever discusses it and it never reaches a resolution, then that, that, that wound, that you know, disagreement doesn't go away. It just continues to fester and leads to more arguments later, whether it's about that or whether that feeds into it and is the ultimate cause. I think in the last, when my grandfather was growing up, it was common for families to sit around the dinner table and discuss politics. I mean, that was just the norm, right? And somewhere between my grandfather and me and our generation, politics turned taboo. You don't talk about religion, you don't talk about sex, and you don't talk about politics because that's going to cause disagreements. Well, disagreements never get resolved if you don't talk to each other. I mean, that that's just the reality of it. And with the ability to go get your liberal news source and the ability to go get your conservative news source and all these information bubbles people can live in online. I think it's more important than ever that we actually start talking to each other because if you're listening to just conservative news media, you're going to have a whole different perception of the world almost than if you're listening to mainstream media than if you're listening to just progressive media. So like I said, I want to if you've got something I don't, I'm not interested in letting ideology stand in the way of reality. So call in, present your case, and we'll go over it. Because I'd rather be right at the end of the day than cling on to a position that's wrong. And I think if we can get more Americans back to that, then ultimately that will help this country. Calling into a show to discuss topics, I'm sure can be very intimidating for some people. I, I definitely, I could understand why some people would have a hesitation, but for those people who do call in, is there a reoccurring theme or like reoccurring set of questions that you find yourself getting when callers want to talk to you? Um, no, because it's centered on the episode. I've had repeat callers that will, you know, call in wanting to talk about this show about BLM, for example, and then the next show will be on the insurrection. Pardon me. Oh, it's no big deal. That may be a work-related call, so if it rings again, we may have to pause. I apologize. Um, but it's centered on the episode. So 
like I said, I've had, you know, a repeat caller who's now become a streamer in his own right um, that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Black Lives Matter one show and then the next show we'd talk about, you know, the insurrection attempt and where he's at on it and, you know, the evidence I'm presenting and then we'll talk about the filibuster or DC as a 51st state. Um, there's really not a, a consistent, you know, hey, let me call and ask you about this one off the wall thing. Uh, like I said, I try and center the conversations on that episode or the previous episode. And sometimes the conversations will meander, but for the most part, no. Um, for anybody who is nervous about calling in, it's anonymous. A, as long as you call in with a, um, I'm not going to say professional name, but something that doesn't violate terms of service, right? <laughs> then I've got no problem addressing you as Mickey Mouse if that's what you want to be addressed as. And that's not a problem, right? Nobody's right. going to know who you really are. So you can call in and present your case. I would also say that, you know, every call I've ever had is listed on YouTube. And with the exception of one, uh, first and only time I've ever had to use the mute button because he just came in hot as hell. Every single conversation I've had, I think, has been civil. I think the caller on the other side would agree with that. And they've had a chance to, you know, state their case and their positions. And I've had a chance to from my point of view, point out why I disagree with them and why I think they're wrong. And then ultimately it's up to the audience at the end of the day to, you know, figure out which position they think makes more sense and is more supported by the evidence. Conversations between people are very important. I feel like they lead to progress as you were also saying. There are a lot of talks going on in Washington right now. You know, I think most notably people are trying to figure out the ideas around the infrastructure bill. People are trying to figure out the particulars of this proposed $3.5 trillion package that's going to go alongside of the infrastructure bill. That's a, its own separate conglomerate. There are a lot of voices, not only just like on the left and the right, but also just on the left who feel as though there should not be any compromise whatsoever. Uh, progressives don't really want to compromise with moderate Democrats or especially Republicans. That's been a, a talking point that centers around the filibuster, more or less. Uh, what is your position on whether or not there should be, I guess, compromising when it comes to legislative agendas? And do you agree that there should be less of it or more of it, you know, especially when we go into the ideas of bipartisanship? One of the first questions I ever got from uh, from chat, and I mean one of the first ones, I think it was probably my first or second stream when I finally got it sorted out, was, you know, where what do I think about centrist, which is kind of what you're asking, you know, where can we compromise in the center, you know, and my basic position on that has always been the same. Compromise is necessary sometimes if, if both parties are based in reality then there is a compromise that can usually be found somewhere in the middle. You know, if you want to argue about whether the marginal tax rate should be 93% or 50%, well then, okay, that's something we can debate about. You can have different evidence supporting it, that sort of thing. You can't compromise with fantasies, in my opinion. So Trump's election fraud claims, right, that we have, there is, to my knowledge, and I've had tons of stuff sent to me and gone over it on stream and everything else, there is zero evidence of a massive multi-statewide, you know, multiple states across the country, 
uh, dozens of, you know, counties and hundreds of polling locations conspiracy to commit some kind of election fraud. So to compromise with policies that are based on that belief, I might as well be trying to compromise with somebody who believes that Santa Claus is real and that we need to protect the country from Santa Claus flying over, you know, every Christmas to, to drop off presents, right? I can't compromise with fantasies. So if both parties come to the table and re have reasonable positions and are basing their positions off of evidence, that's one thing. Yes, we can compromise on those kinds of things. Um, if both parties are not coming to the table with reality, then no, you can't compromise on those sorts of things, in my opinion. Right, right. And it, it definitely is a question that sparked a lot of controversy, you know, just in the last last few weeks, last few months. And it's something that, you know, like, I've always questioned, like you were kind of saying, like people who live in fantasy, people who live in reality. And, and speaking of people who live in fantasy, I think you and I were having this conversation previously where we were talking about whether or not it's important to engage in certain conversations. I think yeah. what I was referring to was Tucker Carlson, for instance. Yes. When he puts out, well, he puts out a variety of, of statements based upon the news of the day or the week or previous years, what have you, but he says a lot of outlandish things. Yes. Now we were talking about like, is it more appropriate to just kind of more or less let him be and not engage with him so often because it only fuels the, the, the popularity of him in this moment? Or is it more appropriate to take on what he says and debunk it so that it's important for people out there to realize what exactly he's saying and how it's wrong? Like, so tell me where you fall on, on this particular situation. For Tucker Carlson specifically, I would fall in the second category where I think you do need to debunk what he's saying. Um, or even the questions that he's asking, because that's how Tucker Carlson will usually operate. Uh, my last episode was on, you know, the, the 12 people that are responsible for 70% of the uh, anti-vaccination content online. Mm -hmm. And Tucker Carlson is the king of, well, who's to say these vaccines are safe? And, who's to, and he'll just leave open-ended questions that make people nervous. Um, anybody that already has the kind of platform that Tucker Carlson has, you know, in his case, you know, the most popular cable news network or cable news show and has been for quite some time now. Me going out and debunking it, in my opinion, is not promoting his content any more than it already is. Now, if there's somebody that's got, you know, 12 viewers on Twitch, that's different. If I give them a platform and bring them on to start spouting crazy conspiracy theories, and I have a platform that's much larger, right, then I'm exposing a much larger audience to crazy ideas. With somebody who already has a large platform, I do not think that is the case. And I think it is important to get the information out there correcting somebody like that. Right, right. And Alongside of Tucker Carlson, there's also been plenty of others on Fox News who like to throw out statements that have been later founded to not be true. And yes. we saw a lot of these cases surrounding the events that led up to January 6th and then January 6th itself. But when you and I spoke before, you seemed you know, very passionate about what happened on that day, the, the insurrection. 
As a former officer in the Army, why was January 6th so impactful to you? And why is this like a topic that you've talked about multiple times on your show? Uh, it's the first time the United States Capitol building has not been in federal control in over, what, 200 years now? I mean, the last time the United States federal government did not control the Capitol grounds was during the War of 1812 when the British burned it to the ground. Um, further than that, it was also a direct assault on a constitutionally mandated process, you know, our presidential election. Uh, a segment of the American population did not like the results of that election. They could not provide evidence in 60 plus court cases to prove their case uh, in multiple courts in front of judges appointed by Democrats, judges appointed by Republicans, and judges appointed by Trump himself. Um, Anybody who's served in the military swears an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. And that was a direct assault to try and stop a constitutionally mandated process. Further than that, I had a personal connection to it. Uh, like I said, a friend of mine, a uh, former coworker, was at the January the 6th rally. I have no idea whether he went into the Capitol building or not. Um, I have refrain refrained from asking that question immediately afterwards. Um, and he's kind of gone radio silent ever since. So I don't know. I know there was uh, countless conversations we had back and forth prior to that event. Uh, you can go back to some of the older shows uh, after the election and see him actually in chat. And uh, a lot of the evidence and arguments I would debunk or go over from the conservative side arguing for election fraud were coming directly from him because I like to get my arguments for the conservatives directly from conservatives. I don't want to put words in their mouth. And like I said, to see somebody that was a friend, that was former military, that got wrapped up into all of this, and the potential consequences are real life consequences it can have. I mean, you only have to look at Ashley Babbitt, who was shot, you know, trying to charge through the, uh, the barricade that was set up in the Capitol building. Former Air Force, had been an Obama voter, got wrapped up in all this QAnon conspiracy theory bullshit, pardon the language, and, and nobody took the time to actually talk to her and try and reason her out of this position. And when you get in that bubble, I mean, it's, it's real hard to break somebody out. And this is my small attempt to try and do something about it. That's all it is. Right. And, and so tell me a little bit more about that. Like what, what were you hearing from the conservative side about their claims on voter fraud specifically? And how did you address them? Because I know that we, we've all largely heard that there were plenty of conservative voices that were talking about voter fraud. Uh, but I don't know that a lot of people on the left really took the time to even listen to what the claims were. What, what claims were people basically trying to throw at you that you had to debunk? Um, and so I'll give you a couple of specifics because it's been a few you know months now since I did a lot of specifics on those. And then some from the, the recent Arizona audit that's going on because I did an in-depth show on the, the now fourth audit in Arizona. Um, one specifically at the time uh, that was relayed to me by my friend that's gone over on air was that a bunch of dead people had voted in the state of, I believe it was Pennsylvania. Um, and they, they knew this because uh, if you went to the Pennsylvania voter rolls and you sorted by date of birth, there were a bunch of people that had been born in 1900, the year 1900, that were listed on the voter rolls and listed as having voted. 
essentially. Um, and this was apparently going viral on TikTok. So I went to the actual Pennsylvania website, tracked it down from where, you know, the, 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 um, the TikTok had come from that was forwarded to me. And if you went and clicked on the sort by age number, it specifically said that, you know, there were several hundred people essentially that were listed with a date of birth of 1-1-1900 because they had been domestic abuse victims and they wanted to hide their date of birth from the people that, you know, had been abusing them. So you couldn't run these folks down. It was basically a way to shelter people who had been victims of abuse previously. You had to go through a court process and all this kind of stuff to, to get that into place. So in other words, there was a legitimate reason for this. And that had been before the election was ever cast. Another one that was forwarded to me was that the, um, uh, again, it was in Pennsylvania. Uh, there was an article by, I think it was PJ Media that showed this picture with like, you know, several thousand ballots. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sub headline was that um, Trump ballots had been thrown out. This was before the election, mail-in ballots that were coming in before the election. And then when you actually went to the, the website, it linked to an article from like Breitbart, and then you had to follow that. And long story short, by the time you dove into it enough, there was like 17 ballots or something that had gotten lost. And when it was found that they had lost within, or found that they were lost within like three days, the FBI had shown up to investigate this. I mean, I don't know how much more seriously we could have taken it over 17 ballots. But when you looked at the initial article, I mean, it's showing a picture of like, you know, these just bags of ballots, like there's thousands of them that got lost. That's not the case. And a lot of conservatives, the ones that legitimately believe this, not the ones that find it useful, because I draw a distinction between the two. I think there are people that are pushing this, not because they actually believe it, but because they find it useful. But the ones who actually believe it, we know that in any election, there's going to be a certain amount of fraud. The historical rate of that is like 0.0009%. Um, it's more likely that I'm going to get struck by lightning going to vote at the, the, the ballot box than it is that I'm going to go cast a fraudulent ballot, essentially. So when you say, hey, I found some voter fraud, yeah, we should look at it. Yes, there should be consequences from that. But that's not what you're claiming in this case. In this case, you are claiming that there was a federal multi-state conspiracy to change or to add thousands of ballots into the system without anybody noticing with poll watchers from two or three parties in some cases, because some you know states have a viable Green Party or a viable Libertarian Party that are sitting there watching this stuff. And you're not producing any evidence of that. That's the claim. It's not that, you know, hey, we're going to find 100 ballots in the entire country that were questionable. No, you were, you were alleging that there was massive fraud in multiple states and dozens of counties and hundreds of polling locations. And there's no proof of that, nothing supporting that. And when you look into the specifics of these things, like I said, it just, there's nothing there. Um, the Arizona audit, uh, for instance, they are testing the paper to see if some of the ballots contain bamboo, because there is a theory that a lot of fake ballots were manufactured in South Asia, 
It's a hint to China, in my opinion, and that the ballots manufactured over there, I can't make this shit up, brother, I'm sorry, and that the ballots manufactured over there would have to contain bamboo because they're from that region, okay? They were flown over here and unloaded from a plane and then basically swept into the system as mail-in ballots. So this fourth audit going on in Arizona, which will probably be completed by the time this airs, right, is literally looking for bamboo contained in the paper so that they can find fraudulent ballots. Well, you have no proof that this happened in the first place, right? You have no proof that these, you know, ballots ever even existed or were manufactured or anything else. But yet we're going to pay, or the state of Arizona is going to pay $150,000. Plus, we're going to let these auditors fundraise directly from people who buy into this conspiracy to the tune of we don't know how much yet um, and go over all this election equipment and have access to all this sensitive data on nothing. Like I said, there's nothing even implying that this actually exists. It's just a, a crazy fantasy. I don't know how, to go back to your previous question, I don't know how you compromise with that. I mean, right. one of the guys involved in this, the, the CEO, is working with a director to make a documentary about his, you know, audit on the Arizona election. Yeah. The producer of that documentary, his previous work was a movie about how aliens committed 9-11, the, the September the 11th attacks on the World Trade Center, and that the Nazis had moon colonies and Mars colonies in the 1930s. Nobody is seriously considering letting those people run a new 9-11 commission. Why should I be considering allowing them to run an election audit? It makes no sense. I mean, we're just, we're way out of reality land at this point. I have so many thoughts. I, I, have, <laughs> I have so many thoughts. Um, you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into them all right now. You know, my my audience hears me talk quite a bit. I want to save this space for my guest, but I will say in a very broad sense that we should be using more bamboo uh, yeah. other than paper <laughs> when it comes to ballots. Uh, bamboo is a I think a more sustainable source of paper, so we should be investing in bamboo. That's not a bad thing. People need to lay off my bamboo, okay? Right, so, right. Before we, uh, you know, before we get you out of here. Um, just tell everyone really quickly why they should come and subscribe to your channel. I'm going to tell you at the beginning what I believe, what conclusion I've reached, what the evidence is supporting. Those three are going to be in line. I'm going to lay out that evidence live on the show. You're going to see all of my sources. They're going to be linked at the end of every show after the show is over. If you disagree or if you see a flaw in my reasoning or if you think I'm misrepresenting the evidence, the number's toll free. Anybody who disagrees gets priority to call in. I'm not trying to duck any arguments. I'm not trying to misrepresent any evidence. If I'm wrong, I want to know it so I can be right at the end of the day. And I think that should be the goal for all of us. We got to talk to each other. We're sharing space. We share a country. And we are more divided than we have been in quite some time, certainly within my lifetime, but I would argue longer than that. This is your opportunity. 
If you want to scream about being censored on Twitter and everything else, if you disagree, call in, present your case. If you want your evidence on the air, again, as long as it doesn't violate terms of service, you can message it to me on Twitter. You can link it to me through the website, and I'll be happy to bring it up on next week's show. Again, assuming it doesn't violate terms of service on Facebook or YouTube or Twitch where I stream. So again, I want to be right at the end of the day. I think we all should want to be right at the end of the day. And it's, it should, any conversation should be more about finding facts and truth than it should be about winning. And that's my goal. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on today. The left speaks everyone. Where can they find you online at for people who are interested in kind of like subscribing to you? The easiest way to find me is to go directly to the website that will give you all the links from there, including, you know, email, Twitter, YouTube, et cetera. And that is theleftspeaks.com. Okay. So I will have that link in the episode description below. I want to thank my guest again for coming on today and for everyone else, we'll be right back after one last break and you'll get my final thoughts of the day. Stay tuned. Thanks for having me. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this long episode of Independent Thought. So first and foremost, I want to thank my guest in the second half of the episode, The Left Speaks. Thank you so much for coming on. I encourage everyone to go check out his YouTube channel uh, and his Twitch channel. It does seem like he is on a break currently, a little hiatus, but I think he'll be back soon. So definitely go check out his show. In the meantime, check up on some of those past episodes he has posted on YouTube. I want to, again, thank my panel for coming on today. We had a couple late scratches of people who could not make the panel, but thankfully, uh, Fresh Face's new ideas was able to fill in in a very last second. And I was very thankful to have Lloyd come back on the show into our brand new panelist, Ashlyn Young. Thank you for coming on to Independent Thought for the first time. I really do appreciate your presence on the show today. I want to close out by saying a couple of different things about the panel. First and foremost, I know that the last time that I did an episode with the panel, I said the next one would not be this long. Obviously, I lied um, accidentally. So we will be trying to get these episodes shorter in the future. But you know, I think it'll probably take a couple of times to work out the kinks and figure out how to keep the conversation concise, but still not, you know, have it seem lacking in any way, shape or form. But I will say one of the obvious things that came out of the panel today was that we were all very much in agreement about the topics that we discussed. So there wasn't a whole lot of contrarianness or, you know, opposition or devil's advocate points being made, so on and so forth. And, and I know that there are people out there who do feel opposite than we do on Afghanistan, on censorship, as far as big tech is concerned, and as far as this new Texas, you know, heartbeat bill that came through. So if you're someone who listened to the panel talk about these issues today, maybe you feel like your voice wasn't represented, reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, tell me how you feel about those issues. And I want to I want to hear from everyone as far as what they thought about the panel, if they liked it, if they didn't like it, just tell me your thoughts on it. And if you did like it, 
please feel free to share this episode on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go ahead and give this episode a share wherever you listen to it, whether that's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you found this podcast. So coming up, I am trying to do at least one more panel during the month of September, but I will keep everyone updated on when that might be or if it might be next month instead. I do have a mid-season break coming up that will be coming after my September 20th episode. So I have three more episodes before that will come through, including another candidate episode coming on September 16th with Christopher Coburn, who is running for city commissioner in the city of Bozeman, Montana. So that is my one Montana-based politician for this season. So I hope that everyone who's in the Bozeman area and other Montanans as well will be able to take a moment to check out that episode in here what Christopher Coburn has to say as far as his vision is concerned for the city of Bozeman. So make sure you check that out. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of Independent Thought. I really do appreciate it. And reach out to me on social media if you have any questions or comments about the episode today. See you in the next episode. Have a good one.